Good morning, Three Rivers Church, Kingston Campus. Very good. Thank you. It's a typical human behavior that if someone speaks to you, you speak back. It's okay. It's all right. We're good. My name is Mitch Jolly. I'm a teaching pastor up at the Unity Campus, and Josh and I swap logs about every six weeks where he takes his logs up there. I bring my logs down here, and we get the... There's a Brian Regan joke in that. If you want to look up Brian Regan on the YouTube and watch that, that's pretty funny stuff. So we just swap logs. So Pastor Josh is up there, and I'm down here, and it's really cool to be with you guys today, and, and it's an honor to open the Word with you. We're in Acts chapter 17 verse 1 to 15 this morning. So you got your Bibles. You can flip over to Acts 17. We're going to look at verse 1 to 15. Uh, my notes are available for you on my little blog. It's called MitchJolly.com. That's really hard to remember. So uh, MitchJolly.com. And you can see everything that I have in front of me, I've made available to you. You can follow along with me there. Um, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to get after it. Okay, you guys ready? Let's do it. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the Word. Thank you for um, the Spirit. Thank you for the powerful gospel. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would take your Word. Holy Spirit, you would make application to it in every heart where we can't see where to personally apply. We ask that you would. We pray that you would be teacher, counselor, helper, guide to truth, and one who reminds us of every thing that you have said. So pray you use this time to accomplish that. Make your word powerful and effective for it will not return to you void. It will accomplish everything for which you sent it out. So we trust you to do that now. We pray this would be to your glory, for our joy, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 17, 1 to 15, the kingdom advances in spite of darkness. Next week, now I won't be in front of you, uh, Josh will be, uh, but next week we're going to look at... Uh, the kingdom advances in the midst of darkness, where Paul enters into Athens. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible um, for those of us who love evangelism and love missions. And we'll say a little bit about that in just a moment because it gives us a framework on how to act. And, uh, but today, in verse 1 to 15, we're going to see the kingdom of God advance in spite of darkness. Implicit in our vision at Three Rivers Church is this truth... That every follower of Jesus is a global disciple maker. That's built into our DNA. We say for the glory of God, we will disciple the nations by being and producing radical followers of Jesus. Now, if you're part of the membership class, we just unpacked what that means. So that's not the purpose this morning. But implicit in that vision is that every follower of Jesus is a global disciple maker. The reason is because the Great Commission is not given to special forces Christians, but the Great Commission is given to every Christian, and it's incumbent upon us to make sense of that. There are only followers of Jesus, and those followers share His vision for His fame among all nations. puts us all on the same level. Acts recounts the church and its practice of Jesus' mission of his kingdom and his rule among all nations. So Acts is recounting how Jesus' mission and his rule gets implemented among all nations. If you, if you kind of go back in, to the beginning, Acts 1 verse 3 shows us before Jesus ascends, teaching them and reminding them about his kingdom. Acts ends in Acts 28 with Paul in prison in a house preaching and teaching about Jesus' 
kingdom. So everything in between, the beginning and the end, is all about Jesus' rule, his kingdom. And what we're seeing in Acts is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to Jesus and his kingdom. We also see, and this is huge here, Jesus' people, us, Jesus' people, as his instruments, bearing witness about him and his kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in them. I want you to keep this in mind. This is important. Just because the historical narrative of Acts focuses on a few people does not mean that the current work focuses on a few special forces. Like, you know, Matt Chandler's obviously like SOCOM, you know, Driscoll. Y'all may not like Driscoll. Piper. Piper is like president, chief, right, among Christians. And so we all look up to the Protestant, hey, this is what Piper said, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, you've got to keep in mind, just because the historical narrative focuses on a few doesn't mean that the current work focuses on a few, and the rest of us just cheer them on and clap and watch their podcasts or read their books. No, on the contrary, the people Acts focuses on were just normal people who were obeying Jesus. You need to know that. We are a starved culture for heroes and superstars. And, and, and we, we take that into Christian subculture. And we set up our heroes and superstars and we worship them. And when they fall and they sin, we're devastated. Oh my gosh, what happened? They're sinners. Right? <laughs> they sin still. They're normal people who just obeyed Jesus. This means every single person in this room this morning can obey Jesus right where you are, just like they did. And leave it to the Lord to determine your scope of influence, just like they did. Listen to this very carefully. Obeying Jesus will inevitably lead to global disciple-making because Jesus can and does reach the world by local witness. It may not be now. It may not be in your lifetime. It may simply be a disciple that you made that is the next Jim Elliot. You may not know who Jim Elliot is. If not, you repent and go Google his name and read the story. Right? It may be that the disciple you make is the next Matt Chandler. It may be that the Lord puts a Muslim in your life and they believe and go make disciples in their homeland. Either way, all of us can and must live in the stream of the kingdom like we see in Acts. So as we study through these passages, we can be instructed on how the kingdom works. We can have our faith increased as we see the faithfulness of God and we can learn how to engage people well. We can learn how the curse and the cursed world system will respond to us in the kingdom as we engage it. In this chapter, chapter 17, 1 to 15, we're going to see, well, particularly all of chapter 17, we're going to see Paul's ministry in three cities, but particularly focused today in the first 15 verses, we're going to see Paul and Silas' ministry in Thessalonica and Berea. And we're going to see how people in those cities responded to the word. So let's look at our text today and see what the Lord has for us to obey. Acts 17, 1 to 9. Now when they had passed through 
Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and some joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. This is fun, like, if you like comparing translations, the King James Version says these were of the baser sort. That's funny to me. I don't know why I think that's funny, but the baser sort. And I'm laughing in my head now as I read that, going, men of the rabble, the baser sort. They're of the baser sort, whatever base means, but I think that's funny. So anyway, this rabble, right, the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, or baser sort, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed and when they heard these things, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. What do we see in verse one to nine? What does it mean? I want you to notice some observations here, and we're going to do some quick application with verse one to nine. I want you to notice here we see Paul had a custom to his evangelism. You see this begin as we read the book of Acts and we watch the first and second missionary journeys. Paul has a custom to his evangelism. That is everywhere he goes. Now remember, God saved Paul and made him what? An apostle, a preacher to the Gentiles. Remember that? Back in Acts? But what we notice in Paul is every time Paul enters a city, in his custom, he enters the synagogue, uses his Bible, and preaches Jesus. He didn't bypass the synagogue. He entered the synagogue. And so they go to those who need to hear. Paul and Silas then spend extended time. Notice here's three Sabbaths. That's three weeks in a row. They enter the synagogue. They open the scriptures. That would be for them, Genesis to Malachi. And they put some stuff here we're going to talk about in a second into practice talking about Jesus and his kingdom. I want you to notice also that Paul uses the scriptures in his evangelism to prove it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and to rise from the dead and that this Christ is Jesus. Three things Paul does here in his custom of entering the synagogue, preaching to those who need to hear, he reasoned, explained, and proved. Paul reasoned, that is he dialogued. Literally it means by question and answer. Paul would ask questions, they would respond, and in his questioning and answering, he would lead them to help explain, that is to open up and to make clear, and then to prove, that is literally to lay down alongside as evidence, that this Christ that is spoken of in the Scriptures is none other than Jesus. Paul had a custom to his evangelism. He used the Scriptures to reason, explain, and prove that Jesus is the Christ. And notice the response. Some were persuaded by the gospel. 
Some were also not persuaded by the gospel. That is, persuaded, they were moved. They were convinced. I want you to keep in mind that their persuasion is not because Paul reasoned, explained, or proved exceptionally well. I don't want you to get a false idea here that it was because Paul was a good reasoner, a good explainer, and a good prover. He was. We all can be because we have the same Bible. But these are tools in his evangelistic belt, and the effectiveness of that tool was dependent on the Holy Spirit to make them effective. Jesus taught us in John 16, 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what he does. So some were persuaded, they believed, but we also see that some violently rejected the gospel of the kingdom. Formed a mob, the baser sort. Not those elevated to the standards of God's kingdom, but those of base values. Stirred up a mob, got the town in an uproar, and there was violent rejection of the kingdom. And look at their accusation. And notice their accusation is very true. They're not making up lies. Look at verse 6. This is beautiful. The mob has come and they stirred up a riot. They say these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Yes, they have turned it upside down. There's no lie there. And Jason received them. He's friends with them. And they're acting against the decrees of Caesar saying, there is another king, Jesus. Amen. Yes. And so, yes, we have turned the values of this world upside down for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Caesar is not king. Jesus is. Glory to God. And some neat things happen. These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. And they're acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there's another King Jesus. They've turned the world upside down. I want you to hear this very carefully. Not in volume. The majority of the world hadn't believed the gospel. Heck, the majority of the region hasn't even believed the gospel. So in what way have they turned this world upside down? Because notice, this isn't ministry speak. Right? Pastors are real good about ministry talk, right? How many people do you have at your service today? Uh, I don't know. It's probably like 150. But like, well, you know, round that up to 250. Right? It's just pastor speak, ministry. How many people showed up at your Bible study? There's like four, but you're like 10. Counting those who were like, you know, said they were going to come. Ministry speak. This, notice this isn't... Paul and Silas trying to make their ministry something it's not. This is the accusation of the leaders of the city of Thessalonica. And they're saying, these cats have turned this world upside down. And they're saying, Caesar's not king. There's another king. His name's Jesus. This is a true accusation. I want you to note something very important here. They may not have yet seen the volume of the world turn to the faith in Christ. But what they have done is turn the values of God's kingdom and they put them in the marketplace and they've turned the values of the world system upside down. And we're going to look at this in just a moment in application. So that's what we see. That's what the text lays out for us. So what do we do with this? First, how do you apply verse 1 to 9? Listen, Three of Us Church, you need to develop a custom to how you make disciples. My hunch is the majority of Western Christians aren't making disciples. We don't do evangelism. We don't make disciples. We're more concerned with what Bible study can I get into? How good is the preacher preach? Is the worship in my groove? 
And if not, where can I find it? We are far too concerned with treating the kingdom of God as if it is a commodity to consume than we are about bringing people into the kingdom. And until that changes, the church in the West will be ineffective. Paul had a groove to his evangelism. He had a pattern. He had a normal way that he engaged. And it was the pattern of his life. In other words, the kingdom shaped how he lived. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a groove in how you make disciples? Are you making disciples? I ask this question at the Unity Campus often. Men, who are your men? Who are you discipling into the faith? Who's going to take up the mantle when you die? Who are you producing? There's a groove to his evangelism. What's your evangelistic groove? Are you a, naturally, are you a person who's naturally attracted to a group of people? What is that group of people? Are you aware who you're naturally attracted to? You know, God made no mistakes in this room. Psalm 139 lets us know that all your days were written in his book before there ever yet came to be one of them. Do you know he knit you together perfectly? And if there's a groove in your personality that leads you to a certain group of people, chances are Jesus put that there. And chances are that wiring's there for you to discover and engage. And whoever that wiring puts you in front of, you need to be discipling. Do you know what your groove is? Do you know what your wiring is? Who are you discipling? What is your desire? Who do you want to disciple? Do you have a people you like to disciple? I like Muslims. I look for Muslims. You know where I like to go on Friday afternoons? I like to go to the Islamic Center. Sit down and just watch and listen. And become friends. Muslim evangelism is messy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's long-term engagement. But that's my groove. That's what I like. It makes me happy. It's exciting. It's, it's intriguing. It's like it's dangerous. It's fun. Right? That's my groove. What's yours? Right? How are you making disciples? Paul had a groove. He had a custom. Church, it must be our norm. As long as we approach the kingdom as though it were a commodity to be consumed, not a stream in which to live that Jesus runs, it'll be ineffective, right? But Jesus has called you to make disciples, right? What is the Great Commission? Go. You can say it. Make disciples. That's directly from the mouth of Jesus. We could close up shop right now and go home. Have plenty to do to keep us busy. Right? Learn your custom. What's your groove? It, listen, it, missions evangelism is not supposed to be a dreary, dreadful, awful thing. What's your groove? What has Jesus made you to be and do? Is it college students? Is it Muslims? Is it a demographic? What is it? Paul had a groove. And he just practiced it. Even though he's called to the Gentiles. First place he went is found the synagogue. Those are people who are seeking something spiritual. Let me go in there and talk to them about Jesus. It's not rocket science either. He opened his Bible. And what did he do? Was the second thing we can notice is that Paul's custom to witness to Jesus. Paul, the Spirit, that is God, Holy Spirit, used Paul's custom to witness to Jesus with great effectiveness. And God can and use your customs and habits or plans of engaging folks with great effectiveness. Expect Him to do so. Also, I want you to note that Paul knew the Scriptures. And due to knowing them, he could reason, explain, and prove. 
Paul knew the scriptures. And as a result, he could reason, explain, and prove. Listen, I want to say this to you, and this is, this is vital. There's, listen, the most important thing you will ever do as a follower of Jesus Christ is read your Bible and worship the Lord privately daily. That will affect your evangelism. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know your Bible and you're going to talk to Muslim about Jesus, you've already lost. You ain't going to reason, explain, or prove jack squat. There is no silver bullet to Muslim evangelism. It's long-term, hard, sweaty, messy work that involves you being able to know your Bible because most of them know your Bible better than most of us know our Bibles. They quote more of Jesus than many Christians do. They've read your Bible. Have you read their Quran? And think about that. Most important thing you'll ever do is read your Bible and know it cover to cover and worship Jesus daily. Let me tell you what the Lord does in those times. The Lord confirms the truth of the word because that's what Holy Spirit will do. He will build your faith. He, listen, He will meet you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is as tangible as the incarnate Son of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? He is. He will walk with you. He will meet you. He will speak to you. He will even tell you what you need to do. You believe that? I know that's kind of weird. We're Baptists. We don't do that, right? We don't, we don't do that. But that's what Jesus promised he will do. He's our counselor. How else can he counsel us if he's not there leading us? Right? The most important thing you'll do is know your Bible so well that you can reason, explain, and prove and notice what we said earlier by the powerful, effective work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Christian, if you take away nothing else from the applications of what I'm going to give you today, make a plan. We have one on the website. We have a Bible reading plan. You can use it. It's there for you. Follow it 15 minutes a day. Read through your Bible. Know it. Take time. And listen, I know I'm not legalistic about this. Just do it whenever you need to do it. But I promise you. The earlier you do it, the better. Why? Because as you wake up, everything will encroach on your time. It's just the way it works, right? As soon as you get up and the workday starts, five million things will vie for your attention and your time. Don't, doesn't it? You may have, even, I haven't got a calendar. And on my calendar, it tells me when I'm supposed to do stuff and what day I'm supposed to do it on. But you know what? That calendar's static. Life isn't. Stuff blows up. Things go cockeyed and funky and the next thing you know your day gets filled up and everything you have on your calendar gets shoved off so you know what if you're going to get it done just get up and get it done there's a guy I like to follow on the Twitter his name is Jocko Willink you guys ever heard of Jocko Willink he, he was uh, you ever heard of Chris Kyle the Navy SEAL American sniper he was Chris Kyle's commanding officer and Jocko Willink is a scary individual he's got these deep piercing blue eyes he's bald and he's bulging Jocko gets up every morning at 4.30 to do his workout. He tweets out a picture of his Iron Man watch. And it's, he's part of the 0445 club. Gets up at 4.30, begins workout at 4.45. And here's what he writes in his book called Extreme Leadership. He says that if it's going to get done, it's going to have to get done while all the lazy people are still sleeping. That's a disciplined man. And you know what? He's doing it. For exercise that one day will fail him. Because he's going to get 60. He's going to get 70. He ain't going to work like that no more. What Paul said to Timothy, train yourselves for godliness. Physical 
Training has some value, but godliness has value in this life and the life to come. Listen, you do it whenever you need to do it, but I promise you, the earlier you get up and do it, the less things will encroach upon it. The quieter it is, and the more tangible you hear his voice. Most important thing you'll do is get up and read your Bible, know it well, listen to the Lord, and obey him. I promise you, Jesus will tell you what to do. And if you'll do what he tells you to do, it's crazy the effectiveness it will bring. Because we never think about Jesus' strategy. And Jesus is going, no, 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 if you do this, you're like, oh, okay. Learn to listen, learn to obey. I want you to learn to let the values of God's kingdom become your values. They turn the world upside down. Remember, that's not volume, that's in value. How do we know this? Because they follow that statement up with how they've turned the world upside down. These men have turned the world upside down and they've come here also and Jason's received them, comma, and they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. In other words, how they've turned the world upside down is taking the values of the world and replacing them with the values of God's kingdom. You say Caesar is Lord. I say Jesus is Lord. That's that's flipping the world upside down. That's taking the values of God's kingdom and saying, those are my values. You keep yours, I'll do mine. Now, it got them in trouble. But they operated on the values of God's kingdom. Listen, I want you to try this. I want you to try reading Matthew 5 to 7 once a day for a month. Just try it. This is part of my discipline. I read the the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5 to 7, every day because it's short. It's short. And try this. Try practicing it. Just try doing it. Do you you know what's in the Sermon on the Mount? Let's let's look and see. Just quickly, quickly. I want you to see how the values of God's kingdom turn the values of a world system upside down. Totally, completely turn it upside down. Look at this. Matthew 5, 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does the world system say? Pride. Hold your head up high, boy. Have some pride. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Arrogance, right? What do American athletes do? We Superman rip, right? We get in people's faces. First down, right? Prideful arrogance. Jesus said poor in spirit. What do the poor in spirit get? The kingdom. You know what the flip side of that coin is? Those who are arrogant don't get the kingdom because they're not part of the kingdom. Because arrogance doesn't ride in the kingdom. Poverty of spirit does. You see how that flips the world system upside down? Look at the next one. Those who mourn are comforted. Well, that's no fun. Right? That's no fun to mourn the state of things. We don't like those people. They're curmudgeons. Let's pretend everything is rosy. Sometimes there's a place for mourning. Look, the meek inherit the earth. Well, uh-uh. You know what meek is? Meek is strength under control, not strength, ex- strength exercised. We think, put your strength out there. Be strong, overcome by your power. God says, no, the meek inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are satisfied, not those who go after the appetites of the flesh. Blessed are the merciful, for they, they receive mercy. Mercy, get what they deserve, by gosh. Is that God's value? You see how these things conflict with the world system that we were just innately able to obey? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're called sons of God. Mm. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just already there in 10 verses, the system of the world is conflicting with the kingdom of God, and this is what they've done. They've come preaching that Jesus is king, not Caesar, and they have absolutely turned the world upside down. Let the values of God's kingdom become your values and live by them. I want you to notice Paul and Silas in Berea, verse 10 to 15. So, it's a mob, rightly accusing them of turning the world upside down. It's true. Just don't like it because the values of God's kingdom are coming against the values of the world. We've got to get these guys out of here. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into where? Where? He's living his custom, isn't he? He's in his groove. I just got kicked out over here. And maybe just reason says don't do that again. Right? Be a smart guy. That got you in trouble. Because don't we teach our kids that? Which is right. Like, stop eating all the cookies, right? I got three boys. They get up from dinner. In five minutes, they're in the cabinet pillaging all my food, right? Don't eat the food. Like, you try to teach them, like, reason. Like, you're full. I promise. No, I'm not. No, yes, you are. And we teach them, which is good. It's not evil. But you would think that Paul would learn the lesson. You keep doing this thing over and over again. You keep getting kicked out of places. You should stop that. No. Because the values of God's kingdom say keep preaching the gospel to people who will hear. So his groove is enter the synagogue. So what does he do? Just got kicked out of Thessalonica. <laughs> and when they arrived, he went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, though, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And they received the word with all eagerness. Examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greeks... I'm sorry, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The gospel's infiltrating all places. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way by sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. The Bereans, we see, are more noble. Why? Because they examined the scriptures to weigh Paul and Silas preaching. And they didn't respond with jealousy. What makes the Bereans more noble? Because they didn't respond in jealousy. The Thessalonican Jews said, mm, these people are believing. They're taking the money from the synagogue. They're taking key people. And they responded with a riot. The Bereans didn't respond in jealousy. They examined the scriptures to see whether these things were so. And what happened? Many of them believe in every domain, every sphere. Men, women, Greeks. I find it interesting that even though he went to the synagogue, he was still reaching Greeks. He was in his groove. And Jesus was expanding his ministry. I think this is vital. Listen, this, I'm not to the application part yet, but Jesus is the one who will expand your ministry. It's not your job to do that. You hear that? It's not your job to make it big. That's Jesus' job if he wants it big. You do what he's made you to do. Hear him, obey him, and let him take care of the scope. Does that make sense? So, they just go and preach in the synagogue. They found a few more noble folks. 
And not only did many of them believe, but the Greek women and men as well. But we notice here that the jealous Thessalonians pursue them. Word has come back to Thessalonica that Paul and Silas are making disciples and they pursue them all the way to Berea to stop the work. And in both locations, they both decided that it was best to move on to the next city because that's what Jesus taught them to do. I think what's important here is to note that Paul and Silas knew when to move on. They knew when to move on. We have a prideful sense about us that, by cracky, I'm going to get there and I ain't moving for jack. Except that Matthew 10, 14, Mark 6, 11, Luke 9, 5, Jesus taught them if they reject you, move on. Why? Because it might not be where you need to be. We remember Acts 16, what happened? Paul and the team kept trying to get into the northern parts of Asia. And what did it tell us? The Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to. Why would Jesus stop ministry? I mean, that's what he wants me to do, right? Why is Jesus stopping it? Because Jesus wanted them in Europe. Right? And so they moved on to the next city because that's what Jesus discipled them to do. Sometimes it's wise to move and go on when things aren't working. Because one of the ways Jesus leads us in triumphal procession is by frustrating our way. And so they both, when they encountered this opposition, moved on. Because what we're going to see next is Paul moves into Athens, which isn't for today. So what do we do with this passage? Number one, ministry was not long lived in either location. However, Jesus' kingdom was established and work was done. And what we can do is trust God that he can get done in little time by his power more than we can do by our ways and means over a lifetime. Listen, Paul and Silas' ministry in these locations were small on the timeline. Three weeks in Thessalonica. Doesn't really, wouldn't really get a sense of how long they were in Berea. But Jesus made it effective. I think what's important for us to remember is it doesn't take Jesus long to do great work. And if we will obey Him and do what He says to do, we can trust that He will get more done in our short time of obedience than we can in a lifetime of doing it our way. I have written in my notes, I don't have time to go there and pursue it, but if you just go read 1 Thessalonians, that's the little book Paul penned back to this church that he just got ran out of. Because he didn't get to finish his ministry. So he wrote 1 Thessalonians to answer some of their questions after he was chased out of Thessalonica here in verse 1 through 9. And in three weeks, Paul had enough ministry to pen 1 Thessalonians. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? God got done in a three-week ministry what Paul could have never done in a lifetime. So rest assured that God can get done in little time by His power more than we can do by our ways and means in a lifetime. So ministry doesn't have to be long-lived. It needs to be effective through obeying the Lord and preaching His Word. Sometimes we're going to run across folks who want to search the Scriptures and know the truth. Those are great ministry moments. We make stories out of those and we tell them. 
But sometimes you're going to run across some Thessalonians who just want to throw you in jail and run you out of town. And I want you to hear this. Neither one is a sign of God's blessing or lack thereof. Neither one is a sign of God's blessing or lack thereof. We live in a place that says if it's not working, God's not blessing it. Well, could you apply that to Paul in Thessalonica? He got kicked out. Not successful ministry, right? No, wrong. Very successful ministry, right? So you're going to run into people who receive what you have to say. You're going to run into people who don't want what you have. And neither one is a sign of God's blessing or a lack thereof. You have to remember you already have His blessing in the indwelling Holy Spirit and the powerful gospel. Don't let response determine your status. You hear me? Don't let response determine your status. You're sent because Jesus gave you the great commission. You're equipped because He has wired you and gifted you. And you are empowered because He's put His Holy Spirit in you. Your job is to make disciples where you are just like Paul and Silas did. And that gives me great encouragement that I can do what they did, not because I'm doing what they did, but because I'm hearing Jesus and obeying Jesus. As we hear him and obey him, he will get done more than we can ever imagine. Finally, I want to close with the admonition to worship. Worship. Part of your life in the Word and in meditation on His Word, needs to be the glorious outlet of worship. I read a quote last week as we studied through C.S. Lewis at the Unity Campus. I started with this, went back to how we got to that. Um, Lewis, talking about joys, joy, the inner, outer working of joy, isn't complete until it is expressed, until it has a consummation in expression. Joy is not merely intended to be held within. It is only completed as it is expressed. It comes to consummation as it comes out. We believe at Three Rivers that worship is the response we make to God and His Word. So when God speaks to us, we open the Word, we have the Lord's Supper. We've heard and tasted the Gospel. We've heard from God's Word on how we are to live in His kingdom and how to hear and how to obey and what to do and how to serve God in His kingdom. And for some of us, that creates great joy. There's great encouragement in that. Some of us, that challenges just a little bit. How we help you bring that to expression and consummation is worship. It is expressed Outwardly what God is doing. Sometimes that looks like weeping because we're mourning over sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Right? But, but, but sometimes it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they will find satisfaction. That comes to consummation in worship services. That's why we're commanded in Scripture to worship. That's why as Christian churches we sing and we worship. Does that make sense? And so we always provide on the backside, the front end and the backside of worship service an opportunity to worship, to bring to consummation what God has done in this time. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. This is a command. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with what? Singing. 
Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So Three Rivers Church, I invite you to take what He has said in His word and may Holy Spirit have caused it to land and, and, and have effect in magnificent ways. But may you not stop with the internal meditation. May there be the expression of that this morning as we worship Him. For that you were made. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to sing and enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise and with gladness and sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and trust that He will bring to completion every good thing He's put and equipped in you and equipped you to do as we worship Him. Father, we pray this morning that You would do far, far more than we can ask or imagine because You have taken Your Word and You've sent it forth And may it land and accomplish all for which you have sent it out. May it not return void. Lord, we trust you to take your word and in five years and ten years, heck, twenty years, bring back the fruit of your word. Lord, it would be really cool if we could see some of the fruit of that word this week. But Lord, we trust you to do with it what you see fit. Lord, would you encourage the hearts of your people? Would you spurred them to good and holy action that you made them for? Would you empower them with all that they need to be obedient? Would you give them ears that hear and hands and feet that will be quick to respond in obedience? I want to pray you'd increase their faith as they see you work on their behalf. I pray that you would sustain that faith and keep it from the evil one for he would seek to come after their faith. But would you sustain it and keep it? Father, I pray you would guard us from lies, the lies of the evil one, and help us to know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood and help us to fight well. So, Lord, we entrust this time to you. Put the fruit of lips that bless your name in our mouths and may that be our song to you. And would you receive it? And would you bring our joy to fulfillment?